0: Thank you, Judy, and it was good to see uh, Peter up here, or excuse me, Henry up here, uh, whatever guy's name is, but anyway, Henry, uh, no, he's he's great uh, up here playing the guitar. Always uh, wonderful to see people coming in, serving the Lord, and that's our prayer, that God would bring us people that would uh, serve the Lord and make a difference. Time is so limited, folks. We have to get out there and make a difference in our community. We need everybody. It doesn't make any difference what your age is, physical condition. God will make a way for you to make a difference. I'm for sure of that. Well, uh, two weeks ago, we were in a series uh, on our conscience, caring for our conscience. And we took a brief uh, break and Pastor Mike uh, preached to us last week. And boy, didn't he hit it out of the park? I'll tell you what, man, what a message. Awesome. Tell you what, I you don't get a better evangelistic presentation done with passion and clarity and conviction than we heard last week. And then of course, God just gave us a great day. So uh, we're so privileged here as a church to see all that he's been doing and it's um, all glory goes to God. Caring for our conscience. This is our message number three, reawakening your conscience. Our conscience is an amazing, precious thing. No other living creature has a conscience. We are one of a kind. Somewhere tucked in the dashboard of our soul and spirit, there is this amazing and wonderful warning light. And when we're about ready to exceed the speed limit or bust through a light, all of a sudden a warning light goes off and says, don't do it. There's going to be trouble. You may have heard of false alarms. Well, uh, a conscience is a fault alarm, F-A-U-L-T, a fault alarm. It isn't designed to actually be a guide. It is a tool of the guide. The guide is the blessed Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses the conscience tucked away in our soul, spirit, heart, as the Old Testament called it, to bring to mind godly principles. He reminds us what the path is. And like the Old Testament, Isaiah said, here is the path, walk ye in it. It is absolutely spiritual suicide to turn off the conscience. And I know in this day we live in, it's not popular to talk about shame and guilt feelings, but the fact is, uh, it is a vital tool of God. He placed it there. And we should uh, calibrate it correctly. We should make sure that all the instruments are clean, so that we can listen to the Holy Spirit. In this series, uh, in addition to, on a personal level, reminding us of how important a conscience is, I feel like it's important to address what I see is a, a problem in the modern church, and that is, we are pulling away from a biblical understanding of the fact of sin. Today, uh, in so many churches, sadly, uh, feelings of guilt or shame are always treated as something that are off base or even hurtful. And so we're told to switch them off. We're told to get rid of them. But the fact is, that is very short sighted advice. Now, granted, false guilt is nothing that we should have, but uh, a conscience is a Amazing, wise gift from the hand of a loving father. God knew what he was doing when he put a conscience in us. And so to turn it off or to just say it's no longer something we need to be concerned about is so erroneous. And so that's what we've been talking about. Well, uh, a conscience, of course, uh, brings with it lots of jokes out there. One person said that a good conscience actually is just a sign of a bad memory. (laughs) Another person said, My conscience is clear. I just don't even use it. (laughs) Um, It was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, uh, known as a wise guy, but he was the author of the Sherlock Holmes stories. And he decided one day to play a joke on 12 of his friends. And so he sent them all an anonymous message. Here's what the message said Flee at once, all is discovered. Within 24 hours, all 12 of his friends had left the country. That's because all of us really, I think at some level or another, deal with guilt. I think really if we had to be honest about it, uh, we'd all say, yeah, there's some things I got some guilt over. Well, I'm here to uh, teach us what the scripture says about that. We shouldn't live with guilt. That's a fact. But we must deal with it correctly. Not just switch it off. And so let's get God's mind on this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this opportunity. Lord, I thank you for a tender conscience. I thank you for conviction. I thank you, Lord, that after all these years, hearing thousands of messages, hearing tens of thousands of songs and of scriptural truths, I thank you, Lord, that I still have a tender conscience. Lord, I'm just grateful for that. It's you. And I want each of these people here, Lord, give them a tender conscience. Give them a clear conscience. Lord, I pray you will just, if they have turned it off, anybody here today, Lord, may today they reawaken it and may it be calibrated correctly by your grace and by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. We find a spiritual father talking to his son in the Lord, and he said, Good son, I want you to fight the fight. Well, what weapons do I have, Dad? Verse 19, Holding in one hand the faith. Not just faith, although you certainly should have faith, but it is the faith. The entire Bible... That's the faith. Someone once said, Does your church have a constitution? And being kind of the uh, facetious guy that I am once in a while, I handed him a Bible. I said, There you go. That's our constitution. The fact is, uh, really, you know, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, it makes no difference. We believe the faith. That is the faith. I believe the whole Bible, from cover to cover. Paul said don't equivocate about the bible. Don't ever say oh well it contains the truth. No, it is truth. Don't ever say that well you know yeah but there are translation errors. Don't go down there. You just just lock stock and barrel believe it. You say well I can't understand it all. Really? Wow. That's brilliant huh, God wrote it. <laughs> kind of makes sense that we're not going to understand it all, amen? But don't not believe it until you say, well, I'm just not going to believe it. No, do the exact opposite. Believe it until proven otherwise. That's a much better way to approach the, the faith. Believe it all. I just believe it all. When I get, if I don't understand it now, when I get further light, it'll make sense. Paul said, Timothy, hold in one hand the faith, and in the other hand, a good conscience. If you don't have those two weapons, a clear conscience, I mean, there are lots of people who know the Bible, can quote the Bible, but they have a dirty conscience, and they're ineffective. They, they, there would be no way in the world they could stand in a pulpit or sing because they will be so afraid that so-and-so's going to say something, so-and-so's going to say, say something or do something. You've got to have a clear conscience if you're going to tell someone about the Lord. I mean, you just can't, if you have any kind of integrity at all. Because he, he said, Paul said this, if you, if you doubt even for a second the validity of the Bible, and if you don't have a clear conscience, your life is going to end up in a train wreck. A shipwreck would be the Bible term. And so here in verse 19, he says, very clear, he said, it will be a train wreck if you don't deal with this. Now, there is no better example in scripture of someone who had a good conscience, a healthy conscience, than Zacchaeus. Now, you may remember a little bit about Zacchaeus. He was the short guy. Well, there's more to him than just that. Let's go to Luke chapter 19. The short guy that was in a tree. Verse number one, and Jesus entered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Now, Jesus was on the other side of Jordan River. He's on his way to Bethany, and he's in the vicinity of Jerusalem. He's about ready to raise Lazarus uh, from the dead, and he's going to have this great, wonderful, miraculous manifestation but he stops and touches people wherever he is. And folks, we need to remember that. There is no task, there is no duty so important, or uh, very few, that we can't touch somebody along life's way. And we may not have a lot of time, but we can at least smile and touch them for the Lord somehow. Well, on his way to Bethany to raise Lazarus from the dead, he comes across a publican. Now, a publican is basically a tax collector, but a corrupt one one who has been given a lot of latitude to collect taxes and a little bit extra on the side. He was not only a publican, he was a chief publican. This guy was the boss man. He was the big cheese. And in addition to that, he was of considerable net worth. He was a very wealthy man. So Jesus is setting the stage for a guy like that. You don't usually find government officials, public elected officials who make a stand for Jesus. You don't find wealthy people that, you know, often that do that, but uh, this guy got it. Verse 3, and he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and he could not for the press. (laughs) And that's what the press will do. They will not let you see Jesus. But anyway, um, Trump needs that verse right there, doesn't he? Send it to him. People don't see Jesus because of the press, but he was of little stature, and he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. We have sycamore trees out here, and in the back here, they're big, big leaves, and very strong uh, trees. You can see easily how you can climb up them, climb up them, anyway. Um, he was curious about all the hoopla. There was this religious teacher who had uh, hit, and, who had hit uh, the area by storm, uh, but uh, there just too many people couldn't even get a look at the guy. I mean, you know how we are—we kind of want to get our impressions. What does he look like, and you know, what's he like? And, and not only was there a big crowd, but he was short. So even if there had been a big crowd, if he was a tall guy. At least he could look over, but he couldn't. And since they didn't have drones back then with cameras, you know, uh, he was uh, decided. Well, I'll just get up in a tree. I like Zacchaeus. He would not be stopped. This guy was persistent, and uh, he just said, "I am not going to let my short stature. I'm not going to let all these people keep me from Jesus. It's not." And uh, sometimes I meet people. And, We'll talk, and I'll say, "Bill, I just hope you'll come to church." And I'll try. And sometimes, when I'm feeling a little mischievous, I'll say, "You're going to try?" They said, "Yep, I'm going to try. I'll try." I know what that's a code for. That means I'm not going to be there. But um, so I say, so I'll say something like this: I'll say, "Are you going to try like you're going to try to go to work on Monday, or are you going to try like you just don't want to come?" You know, there's a difference in the word "try." Zacchaeus said, I'm going to see Jesus. He tried to see him and he did. And usually we get what we're looking for spiritually, for sure. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, saw him, and said unto him, Zacchaeus. (laughs) He saw Zacchaeus in the tree. Just in case you're wondering, Jesus sees you where you are, okay? If you're in a tree, he sees you. No matter where you are, he will find you. We were out east of town, uh, on Friday there, driving out to the wedding, and we drove through one of those big old uh, orchards, walnut orchards. And I mean, they're just huge, what, 40-foot trees and just a blanket of shade inside there. And I told her about the time years ago, and and I pray other places now, but I used to go out to the east there and park under one of those trees. I'd sometimes park way back in there and just walk around and pray. Years ago, I was doing that, and I was praying up a storm and all of a sudden I looked up and our assistant pastor was out there, a guy by the name of Joe Grandy, and he was walking around out there. I was like, what are you doing here? He said, I was praying. I said, man, this is where I pray, You know, Go find you another place, but uh, in love. I said it in Christian love, and, um, but the tract is, you better be careful because they will find you in the middle of a walnut orchard. He was in a tree. And he saw him and he sees you. Amen. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. (laughs) Jesus invited himself over. I'm coming to your house, Zacchaeus. Now he knew Zacchaeus would say yes, because he looked into his eyes and deep into his soul and he saw this man was more than just religiously curious. This guy was serious. And verse 6, and he made haste. That's the best plan. Come down. Amen. You got to come down. You won't you won't ever see Jesus if you stay in a tree. You got to come down. You got to humble yourself and get on your knees and then make haste about it. Don't procrastinate. And then receive him joyfully. That little term there, received him into his house, actually is Synonymous with getting saved. He got born again. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, now looky here, that's the Greek for that. Looky here, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore unto him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come into this house. <laughs> yeah. You get a tax collector to be giving money away. Uh, this guy got saved, but this day salvations come to this house. In fact, uh, he has proved himself to be a son of Abraham, a godly son, a spiritually, a spiritual Israelite. Now, what happened to Zacchaeus the second he got saved? Warning lights went off. I mean, his his warning lights were just dead. Dead. He did nothing going. But the minute the Holy Spirit got inside of him, the Holy Spirit used scripture that he had been taught. He wasn't saved, but he knew scripture. How do we know that? Because of what he said. He said, I'm going to restore fourfold from anybody I stole from. Well, how? what was was that about? Well, that was according to the Old Testament law. When a thief would steal something and consume it, they had to restore it, not only the matter, but then fourfold for damages. This guy knew the Old Testament law, but he wasn't saved. The conscience wasn't working. And there's a lot of people who go to church and talk about God and function in life, but they have no conscience. Now what happens? And, what's going, and, that is, and that's what Paul said. That is, a, that is an absolutely dangerous place to be because you will you will find yourself you won't be too long you'll be shipwrecked. Zacchaeus said I will make restitution. Now, he said it to God, but he also said I will not only in a general sense, a corporate sense, he said I'm going to do this for God, but he also in a very specific said, I will specifically take care of anybody I have wronged. He didn't say if they sue me and I have to, I'll give it back. He said, no, I want to find out, and you just make it known, I will restore to everybody I have wronged. The fact is, in this case, not in every case, of course, but in this case, he had gotten wealthy by dishonest means. And so he knew, and maybe not totally, but he knew at least partially that every bit of the money he had was just a lie. The conscience is an amazing thing. And when you make restitution. It is a free, freedom-making point in your life. Someone once said that man is the only creature of God that can blush and is the only one that needs to. Violate your conscience and we pay a price. Oh, what anguish and oh, what regret and fear and shame comes if you have a good conscience and you go against it. But if you respond to the warnings and the light of an awakened conscience, you'll find peace and joy and self-respect. A mother was trying to teach her boy the difference between the word conscious and conscience. They sound the same. And she was trying to get him to know the difference between conscious and conscience. And she said, son, do you know the difference between those two words? And he said, yes, I do, mom. He said, conscious is when you were aware of something and conscience is when you wish you weren't aware of those things. <laughs> and so, what is a conscience? It's like a sundial. It is, as a sundial, it is no better than the light that shines on it. Perhaps you've been to a place, and I, some of you are old enough that's what you used to use instead of watches. And uh, <laughs> but um, but you've seen a, a sundial and they only work because of the light. You put it in darkness, and they don't work. The conscience is like a sundial. It is like a skylight. It only operates if you keep it clean. It only functions if you make sure that all the dirt is off of it. If you leave any kind of dirt on it, it just it's not going to be certainly as bright as it should be. And so our soul, if we let dirt stay there. It just begins to dim that conscience. A conscience is like one of those irritating LED reader boards that tell us to slow down. Those things are a perfect example of a conscience. I'm driving down the road, minding my own business, just having a good time, and that thing begins to flash. I didn't even ask it to flash. I did not even want it to flash, and yet it will say, here's your speed. Here's what the speed limit is. Slow down. Boy, those conscience things bother you. In today's world we live in, it is mostly considered to be a defect that robs people of their self-esteem. Don't ever make anybody convicted. You will make them feel bad. It is thought of as a disorder, but the opposite is actually true. In the New Testament, the word conscience is a Greek word that comes from two root words. It means co knowledge you can see the word science and the word conscience co science or or knowledge together you you become you your your spirit your soul speaks to itself in the old testament it is uh, not a word that's in our english bible our king james english bible but it is translated as the word heart when scripture speaks about a tender heart it's talking about having a sensitive conscience. Now, one of the problems we have in this world today, and it's getting ever so terrible, is the fact of uh, a society without a conscience. It has given birth to all kinds of terrible happenings, not the least of which are these terrorists and serial killers, psychopaths. Now, who is a psychopath and what really are they? A psychopath or a serial killer is an extreme example of a person who just kept turning off the conscience. They kept turning it off and eventually they just uh, slipped into some terrible uh, actions. When I was starting the ministry back in the 70s, there was a man who was a killer by the name of Ted Bundy. Some of you are old enough to remember ted bundy he was it was a terrible a terrible blight in the American public he um, He killed at least thirty women that they know of. He uh, just uh, desecrated them it just it was terrible and uh it became a huge issue in the American uh, mind at that time Of course since then there's been others, Jeffrey Dahmer and others but I want you to I want you to read what he said. Listen to this quote. He said, I do not feel guilty for anything. I feel sorry for people who feel guilt. Now, all of us would say, this is a terrible thing. Psychologists would say, well, this is a um, this is a person who is a psychopath. They have blunted emotions. They have the inability to feel guilt or remorse. And most psychologists would say it's a genetic thing. and Today we have uh, even shows called Criminal Minds because they're trying to show that not everybody has a criminal mind. But can I tell you what scripture says? Scripture says we all have criminal minds. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has sinned. Everyone. You'd say, well, I would never be a, a Ted Bundy. Really? Never would, huh? Sure about that? Do you know what the doctrine of total depravity is? Total depravity means I am as wicked as, as ultimately wicked as anybody has ever been. I am as, you see, and when that moment dawns on us that we are the most wicked, the most wicked person that's ever lived, now we finally can receive the grace of God but we keep telling people they're good. You're basically good. Politicians get up and say, "This is a good America. Yes, we thank the Lord for what good is." But folks, we are sinful people. And as a result of that, we need to realize that this this Ted Bundy is nothing more than a person who kept turning off his conscience. And look where he ended up. He is not an aberration. He is just somebody who just kept turning off his conscience. If conscience was a, described in a courtroom scene, here's what it would be. The conscience assumes everything that's going on in a courtroom. It is the transcriber to record what is done in exact detail. It is the plaintiff that lodges a complaint when we are guilty. It is the defender which sides with us when we are guilty, or excuse me, innocent. It is a witness that shows where we've been. It is a judge condemning or vindicating and it is a executioner. All of those things are what a conscience is and does. Now, can we keep our consciences pure? Can we respond to these guilt feelings in the right way? I believe we can, and I believe it means doing five things. And so it looks at, at that this morning. First of all, I believe it involves confession. If you as a Christian have allowed your conscience to be defiled in any way, then you must confess it. Don't just say, well, you know, it'll get better. The word confess means to say the same thing as God says. Here's what it says in Proverbs 28 and verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Let's read that together if you would, please. Ready? Begin. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. God said you never really succeed at covering sin. Nobody ever really succeeds. Sooner or later, it will be discovered. Now, it may be possible to hide it from humans, but probably not, because sooner or later, maybe even after your death, some little piece of paper that you inadvertently left, some some digital record somewhere, whatever, sooner or later, like Solomon said, a bird of the sky tells the things that you did. But the fact is, uh, we certainly can't hide it from God. How much better it is to get out ahead of sin and just say, you know what, I'm coming clean. And let me just say that again, folks. If you're here and you have any unconfessed sin, you need to take care of it. Do not hide it any longer. Do not hold it any longer don't just hope that it never gets found out. You need to tell God. And you may need to tell somebody. And here's the awesome promise that God said. If you will confess your sins, your life will be over. Oh no, it doesn't say that. If you will confess your sins, you might as well kiss your marriage goodbye. If you will confess your sins, you're going to go to jail. Now the fact is some of those things actually might happen. But the amazing promise is that if we will confess our sins to God, it said we shall find mercy. People who confess their sins get mercy; they get mercy from God, and they almost always get mercy from people. They do; it's just the way it is. And God, but if you cover it, say, "Well, I'll I'll cover it," and then people will forget. Doesn't work that way. The longer we cover it, the worse it gets. It just festers, and the longer we just don't say anything about it, it just doesn't go away. It just gets worse. You are not looking at a person who is sinless, but you are looking at a person who has a clear conscience.
1: And there's, as far as
0: I know, there's nobody I can look eye to eye with and not say, I've made it right. There's a tremendous power in that. There are some situations where, of course, you can't say it, or maybe it's not proper maybe some kind of affair or something, and you just need to walk away from that. But look at the people in Bible character times. Look at the things they did. I mean, look at David, look at Peter, look at these people whose lies were totally turned around because they confessed it. The problem is not the sin, it's the cover-up. The cover-up is the problem. Confess it, friends. Number two, reconciliation is a second thing that getting an awakened conscience means? It means asking forgiveness from people who you've wronged. Not only God, but people. Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there remembers that thy brother hath ought against thee. So you're trying to do something spiritual. You're trying to pray. And during this time of soul searching, which by the way, is a good thing, not to the point of neurosis, but to the, everybody needs to search their heart. Is there anybody that I have wronged? Anybody. And you remember that your brother has something legitimate against you. Now, now we're not talking about things that are you, because you've done right or something, but, or that they're weird. Leave their life gift before the altar. Go your way. Don't even think about serving God until you have reconciled your brother. Then come and offer thy gift. I've told Pauline before since we've been married, and, you know, I've just told her several times that I, you know, I, I cannot minister if I feel like there's something between us. I just can't do it. And I wish I could. Well, we, you know, I can't get past it. I'm sorry. That's just, it's not the way I work. This can't, this can't happen. Same way, you know, we all need to be with God. Is I can't. I cannot minister. I cannot function. I cannot pray. I, in this case, cannot pray. Cannot do something if I feel like that. I have somebody has a legitimate issue. I've wronged them. That's why God said, "When you remember that." And by the way, how important it is to be our own prosecuting attorney. We should not let somebody else have to make have to hold us accountable. By the way, this moment that I'm talking about right now this moment where we become our own prosecuting attorney is one of the most important moments of a Christian's life. Because when I will do right, regardless of where I could be 5,000 miles from here. You take Pastor Mike. I mean, he's way over there in Mumbai, the sin center of the world. Who knows what in the world he's doing over there? But I know what he's doing. He's serving God. And he is his own prosecuting attorney. His conscience is where I. You don't know what I've done all week. Now Pauline knows. She kind of keeps track of me. I have to tell her. She doesn't chase after me, but she. I, I tell her all the time. Here's what I'm going to be doing. Here's where I am. Of course, when you drive a car like mine, you can't go anywhere without somebody knowing you. You know, but uh, I can drive it on purpose. I don't want one of those, you know, uh, incognito guys. Wherever I go, you know where I'm at. Get it right, folks. Years ago, when Elizabeth was born, precious little thing. she had so many issues, and among them she had gotten very severe jaundice and the doctors were talking about I think blood transfusions and all kinds of stuff and she was such a just so small, just a little tiny little baby and I remember uh, just uh leaving the hospital room there and walking up and down the halls of St. Joseph. early in the morning. And uh, I just said, God, if there is something in my life that had a part in this, because I, honestly, I had some bitterness. And I said, Lord, if this is me in any way, shape, or form, oh, God. And I'll tell you what, there was a freedom that came that few moments. And later on that day, I told the doctor, I said, would you check her Billy Rubin levels again, and just just see where she's at. And the doctor checked him. He said it's too soon. things haven't changed, I said, would you just do it, please? He's, he he, gracious enough to do it. And he did. He said, I'm shocked. He said it just absolutely so much better. And then I was able to uh, bring her home with us from the hospital. I tell you one thing, folks: if you want your prayers answered, keep a keep your keep clear with God and keep clear with others. Just now, you can't fix people that are just got you know crazy concepts. But I'll tell you one thing, if, you, if they have a legitimate concern, then we need to make reconciliation. Number three, restitution. And when necessary and if possible, we need to make complete restitution like Zacchaeus did. He was serious. And I'll guarantee it, when he went over to those people and paid them their $100 that he stole from them, and, they, and then he gave them 200 and then he gave them $300. Finally, he gave them $400. They were like, what is this for? He said, I stole $100 from you, and here's fourfold for what I did. They were like, and he was like, yes, freedom. And every bill he paid off, just one more little thing went off of his shoulder. Oh, he just went around. He said, this feels so good. He just went around paying everybody. He just went around. Every, boy, I mean, to tell you, he was giving money to everybody. And every time he did it, whew, freedom. Folks, none of us can say we haven't sinned. I mean, we're not Jesus. Nobody here is Jesus. I mean, you're going to have sinned. You're going to done wrong. Everybody does that. But the deal is what you do after it. That's the key. And that's where the Christian life, really, that's, that's what I'm saying. That is absolutely the, the key point. You need to make sure that you, if you need to make something right with people, do it. Because if you don't, a train wreck is coming. It's only a matter of time. It's not an if, it's just when. Paul said, if you don't get a clear conscience, you are headed for a shipwreck. Marriages which never would have imagined would split broken. Lies which never would think would end up being some drunken down in Skid Row, of Stockton, people who once were in church, people who are living, I mean people living in San Francisco with some same sex, one time standing in churches ministering. You're just like, what happens if you don't watch that conscience, if you just turn it off, if you don't make it right? And then <laughs> concentration. This thing has to be taken care of. You must deal with it now. Paul said and. Acts chapter 24 and verse 16 here, and do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of events towards God and towards men. Now, you may think putting it off will work, but I promise you it won't work. Now, you can't take care of restitution this morning, of course. I mean, very likely. But you can get the ball rolling in a few moments by coming down here And I think it'd be an appropriate response at an end of a message in a series like this, if you just to come before God and be bold enough and courageous enough to say, God, whatever anybody I have ever wronged, I do right here and right now, and you, God, most of all, I do right here and right now, I confess it to you. And I say what you say about it, Lord, it is wrong. It is sin. It's just wrong, God. And there's no excuse. And there are, we always can say this or that but the fact is, folks, every person sins of their own accord. It's not cuz you ate a stupid twinkie, it's not because you didn't have enough sleep, it's not because you weren't feeling good, it's not because, you know, the boss was mean to you. Fact. When we violate a scriptural principle, it is our own choice to do so. And we need to be held account- ourselves accountable. That's what a conscience does. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And if we just say, oh, well, you know, it doesn't go away. In fact, it only gets worse. I don't see how anybody can pray without having a clear conscience. Concentration, get at it, folks. Get at it. Take care of business, whoever it is. I mean, I don't care if it's all the way back to your childhood. Take care of business. This is, and by the way, notice what happened to Zacchaeus when he did it. It says his whole house got saved. He made things right and it started a revival because that's when you know people are serious because everybody can talk, right? I've been around long enough to know everybody can talk, you know, but there's, uh, there's about what, 18 inches between an elbow and a mouth you know the big difference between what that says and what actually happens number 5 number 1 confession number 2 reconciliation number 3 restitution number 4 concentration and number 5 education you must guide your conscience into truth over tradition we saw during this series in 1st corinthians 8 how that some people had a weak conscience because they were allowing themselves to become Um, hobbled and hogtied with what others were saying. Perhaps it were their culture, maybe a teacher in school or their friends or Hollywood or some religious leader. It could even be their parents or relatives, but they were hobbled with unnecessary bias and it's stealing their joy, creating hindrances for service. I mean, I know folks that won't even go to a good church because of some ridiculous concept in their brain they you know the women don't have their hair all twisted up or you know I mean the men don't wear ties or it's not on a certain day of the week I mean it's just like screwy people are just nuts because some religious leader or some person they heard or you know they won't go to a church where they sing hymns because they saw some Hollywood movie some Huckster I mean there's just all kinds of weird stuff get in our brains and it warps us. Now, let me tell you what Jesus warned of. And he warned that a warped conscience is no joke. It's a serious matter. And when he talked to some religious religious people, look what he said. He said, here's what you're doing. You know what you're doing? He said, you are so blind and you're guiding others. You're just, just heaping the same junk on them, baggage, you're straining, you're choking on a gnat, like a smallest little tiny fruit fly. And at the same time, you're swallowing camels. He said, you folks are just, you are crazy. He said, you are so strict about insignificant things that you let the big things go. I mean, so weird. And folks, I'm telling you, that is a description of what I see so much today. People just all off base, all just Crazy. And Paul said, it is hindering your ability to serve God. Get a big picture. Those disciples were under so much pressure. They were being so beat up. Those Pharisees were complaining that they weren't washing their hands. The disciples weren't washing their hands before they ate the corn. At the same time, those suckers were paying. To, to make Jesus to kill Jesus. That's at the very same time they were all upset about washing hands. They were, they were paying off people to kill Jesus. I mean, he told them. He told them straight up. He said, "I'm gonna say it right now." He said, "You people are choking on gnats and you're swallowing camels." That is no. That is a terrible way to live your Christian life. So we have some people who have no conscience. We have other people that have a, an erroneous conscience. It's because they're just listening to tradition or Hollywood or some teacher in school or whatever. He, and the only answer is to re-educate it biblically. Is it biblically wrong? If it's not, then just cool a little, calm down. Just It's just not what you think it is. And folks, we are we are... We are drowning today in sin. We're drowning today in a lack of education about a true conscience. What has happened to America's conscience? We've corporately lost our conscience. I mean, this week, our good president stood up there and said, We cannot any longer allow perverts to be a part of our serv- military service. And I applaud him for that. And yet, you would think that he just. Violated the civil rights of every person that ever lived. You just like unbelievable, but that just tells you how much our w- world has gotten off. I mean, and they will twist it to say you don't care about people or whatever. The folks, we we are losing our biblical conscience. We need to have an educated conscience, the right conscience, getting back to where it should be. I remember reading a few years ago about a man in Boston who confessed to a murder. That's not a very usual thing to do, but what made this one even more (laughs) unusual was that he confessed to a murder that he had done 41 years earlier. This just happened a few years ago. He he, He went into the police station and confessed that he had committed murder 41 years earlier in the 60s. His reason... He had an attack of conscience, and that's what, he had told, that's what he told the police. He said he had an attack of conscience. You know, that's an interesting word, isn't it? And that's exactly what a good conscience will do. It will ruin your party. It will rob your thoughts and disturb your nights and take your sleep away and foul up your pleasures and ruin your appetite. I know many a person who thinks that a salacious affair will add some zest to their life and only to hate every single second of it and even wish they would get caught. Folks, thank God for a conscience. It is absolutely one of the most wonderful um, tools of the Holy Spirit to bring us to a point and a warning of a thing that's going to cause so much trouble. We've sung today about God's love. We've sung today about giving our hearts to the Lord. Now it's your turn. And I trust that you, as we end this message, will say, okay, I want a clear conscience. I want a tender spirit. Would you bow your heads with me, please?